Hey, good morning, ladies, and happy Hanukkah on this third day of Hanukkah as we count up. And um, I wanted to begin with a question that is a very famous question that is asked by the base Yosef. He was the um, author of the Book of Jewish Law, Code of Jewish Law. And the question that he asks is, why do we light the menorah for eight days? They had enough oil for one day. So the question is, we should be lighting the menorah for seven days, not eight days. Because again, there was enough oil for the first day. <clears throat> so there are many answers given to this question. I've heard there's over 100 answers to this question. But I want to um, I want to tell you three of them, and I want to focus on the third. So the first answer is that the first day of Hanukkah, it commemorates the military victory. The fact that, you know, we had oil that lit for seven days is the, is the rest of the days. But the first day is commemorating the fact that the Maccabees were able to be victorious over the Greeks, which was miraculous. Okay, another reason that is given is that just finding that flask of oil that was intact, that was undefiled, that had the stamp of the Kohen Gadol on it, that in itself was miraculous, that they were able to find that one flask of oil. <clears throat> now, my favorite answer that I always come back to is the fact that We celebrate on the first day just the fact that oil lights, that the miraculous is found in nature, that the fact that oil itself lights is recognizing the miraculous in the everyday, in the mundane, in that which we take for granted, that's what which we call nature, which we've just gotten used to. And what we're celebrating on that first day is the fact that Teva, nature, is also miraculous and that nature just hides God. When we see an open miracle, it's easy to say, oh, that's God, right? But to find God in the everyday, in what seems to us to be normal and natural, that is really the kunst and the trick and the challenge of being a Jew. And this is something that, of course, went against the Greek philosophy of the time. First of all, the concept of God and anything that is above nature, but the idea of finding God in nature, in the natural world, in the music, in science, in philosophy, in architecture, in all the wisdom that God has endowed man with, this was, again, the, the, the battle between darkness and light. For the Greeks, there was only Teva, only what the eye can see, the laws and the rules of nature. And this was darkness, as we explained last week. The Jewish people are people who look behind nature for God, who recognize that God doesn't like to do miracles, but rather he wants us to search for him in the everyday occurrences of life, in the everyday miraculous of the mundane. 
Again, the philosophy of Yavan, Greeks, was the material and physical world, the rational mind, and that's all that exists. And the letters of the word Yavan look like quicksand. You see the Yud and the Vav and the Nun as they are basically going with gravity, falling down. This is the only world that there is, the material and physical, as opposed to the Jewish people who are represented by this word, Sion, another name for Yerushalayim, another name for the Temple Mount. Again, we see the letters of the word Yavan, but they're preceded by a tzaddik, a tzaddik which represents a righteous person, someone who is striving to bring God into their life, into the world. Again, the tzaddik is made up of a nun that's bent over, ne'eman, a believer, and the yud on the top is that Hashem is resting on top of the tzaddik because a tzaddik allows room for God in his world. And this is representative of the Jewish people. It also, by the way, I never knew this, is part of the word mitsuyan. The Jewish people are called mitsuyanim in the Haggadah. Excellent. We, we, we describe this as excellent. But our excellence comes from the fact that we are always striving to find Hashem, not only in the miraculous, which is easy, but in the everyday. So in Judaism, we say there's no such things, no difference between open miracles and everyday miracles. And the famous story that I always love to quote in the Gemara is the story of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, who understood this completely. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was exceptionally poor, and one Hanukkah, he had no oil to light the menorah with. So his daughter said to him, you know, Abba, we don't have any oil. What are we going to do? And his fa her father, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, who was a great tzaddik, said, well, there's some vinegar in the cupboard. Why don't you take out the vinegar and use that instead? And of course, she was thinking what we're all thinking. Well, vinegar doesn't light. And what Hanina ben Dosa said to his daughter was the same God that says that oil should light can also say that vinegar should light. And the menorah was lit with vinegar. I asked my son the end of the story, what happened? He said, well, they wouldn't tell the story if the vinegar hadn't lit. This miracle, we would call a miracle, happened for Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa because he was at a level where he saw no difference between nature and open miracles. In other words, the fact that oil lights is miraculous. The natural world is full of miracles constant miracles, miracles all around us. From, I know you work in a hospital, right? The complexity of the human body still defies the ability for the human to understand it completely because there's so much complexity in everything around us. And we're going to talk more about that. But for Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, there was no difference between nature and miraculous. Because nature itself is miraculous. And that is what I want to focus on today, is seeing Hashem in the everyday. Now, how do we do this? How, what midah do we need to be able to see Hashem in everything in our lives? So the midah that I want to focus on today, which I'm actually part of a Musarvad 
um, that is going through this Mida with a Rebetzin Atara Haber. She's fantastic. And the Mida that she's focusing on, which I felt, uh, you know, um, was linked so clearly to this holiday of Hanukkah, is the Mida called Hakarat Hatov. Or in Ashkenazis, we say Hakaras Hatov. And that means recognizing the good, seeing the good, looking for the good all around us. When we see the good, when we look for the good, this is a gateway to deepening our emuna and our bitachon in Hashem. Now, again, with all character traits, and this is a character trait, you know, people might call it gratitude, but this is more than gratitude. This is a character trait that a person has to develop. Some people are born more naturally with hakarat hatom, with seeing the good, focusing on the good that other people do for them, focusing on the good in the everyday that Hashem does for them. And most of us, even if we're born with that natural inclination, can get better and better and better at it. We have to flex that spiritual muscle. And this is the work, I believe, one of the ways that we can work to appreciate Hanukkah. Because as I said in the last class, the main mitzvah of Hanukkah in terms of character development is lahalel lahodo, to praise and to thank Hashem for all that he does for us. And that is why, for example, in the Shemona Esrei, the extra prayer for Hanukkah appears right after the regular prayer that we say every day, Modim Anach Ulach, where we bend our heads and we bow down and we say, we thank you, Hashem. And in that prayer, the focus is on thanking Hashem for the every day, for the fact that he gives us our life back every day, that we can entrust our souls to him, that we know he's going to take care of us for all of the favors that he does for us, for the compassion that he shows us, which is never exhausted, and the kindnesses that he does that never end. And as soon as we finish with that Modim prayer, we go right into the prayer about Hanukkah. And this is also a thank you prayer. But this prayer focuses on the miraculous. The fact, Hashem, that you delivered the strong into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few, the impure into the hands of the pure. But as we said, for Hashem to be able to do this is just as easy. These miracles are just as easy for him as we would call the everyday is easy. There's no difference whether he's hiding or he's showing himself. It's all the same Hashem. So we come to this next Modin prayer and we say this and we talk, we focus here more on the open miracles as opposed to what we call the closed miracles, right? There are two types of mystical uh, miracles. There are open ones, the ones that we see, nes nigla, and then we call the other one a nes nistar, a hidden miracle, the everyday miracles. So Hanukkah is telling us not that it's easy to see the open miracles, 
But the way that we differ from the Greeks, the way that we differ from all other people as Yehudim, right? Our very name says, declares who we are. Yehudim from the word lehodo to thank. Our very essence is to look for opportunities to have hakaras hatov, to thank the people around us, to be grateful, to see the good, and thereby to be thanking Hashem all the time. Because the, this midah is very interconnected. Somebody who has no, um, who doesn't acknowledge or see the good that other people do for them, is not going to acknowledge or see the good that Hashem does for them. Okay. All right. So we know that from the moment we're born, and as soon as we can talk, right, we are being told to say thank you. It doesn't come naturally. The human condition is Magili. And Rabbi Ravwolba in his Sefer Ali Shor talks about the two things, the two reasons that make it very, very difficult for a person to be naturally grateful. And the first reason is basically that idea that I just mentioned, that we come into the world with an attitude of expectation, of magiali, as they say in, in Hebrew, right? It's coming to me. I'm supposed to get this. Ma, you're supposed to make dinner for me every night. That's what mothers do. I'll say thank you, but that's your job. Okay? And we can extend this to everybody in the world. The mailman delivers the mail, right? We can either see it as his job, or we can say, wow, it's incredible, this kindness, this gratitude that I feel for the fact that I don't have to get up every day and go to the post office to get my mail. There's somebody who delivers it. And to the first level of Hakara Satov is to recognize that we have certain expectations, certain places where we just expect and we have to work against this now the way we do this obviously is from the moment our kids as I said begin to talk we start to teach them to say thank you but thank you can be something that's robotic that's learned that's perfunctory and part of polite society and it doesn't necessarily make you into a person who is driven to see the good that other people do for you and, and, and to want to respond in kind, okay? But everything that we get is worthy of being makirtod, is worthy of us recognizing the good in it. Whether it's the storekeeper that helps us, the Uber guy that drives us, the bus driver if we take buses, Either a person can say, well, you know, he was going there anyway, that's his job, or give a real heartfelt thank you as you get off the bus. You know, there's an idea that there's two types of guests. There's a guest who comes for Shabbos, and he's so full of thanks because he says, wow, you made this whole Shabbos meal for me, right? Bishvilini vraha olam, Hashem, the whole world was created for me. There's another type of guest that comes and says, Oh, you know what? You were making it anyway. You were making it for your family. You were making it for your other guests. So what's the big deal that, you know, you invited me along? So this is the difference between somebody who has hakara satov 
or somebody who is what we're going to talk about the opposite, which is kafuito, which covers over the good, minimizes the good that other people do for them. Okay, so we said the first thing that gets in the way of developing this midah of hakarat hatov is our expectations. You're supposed to do that for me. This is the way it's supposed to be. Why should I thank my husband for the fact that he makes a parnasa? That's what he's supposed to do. That he brings home the bacon, if you like, right? Or the woman brings home the bacon, whatever it is today, right? Why should I thank her? I'm expecting that. That's normal. So this is the first way that we have to shake ourselves up to be able to develop in this mita of hakarat hatov. Don't take things for granted. Don't expect. The second thing that Ravolba says, which is the reason why we don't like to be, to recognize the good that others do for us, or we try to minimize it, is because we don't want to be indebted to the other person. As soon as somebody's done something kind for you or done you a favor, all of a sudden the playing field is no longer even. They're one up from you. And the feeling that we have, even though it's subconscious many times, is, oh, no, now I owe you, right? Now I've got to give something back in order to make the playing field even again. And so this feeling of indebtedness or the word itself, lehodot, which means to thank from the word toda, actually also means to admit. So it's this feeling of having to admit that you've done something for me and now I have to, so to speak, I feel this weight of having to do something back that makes us not want to acknowledge the good that other people do for us. Again, we might acknowledge it, but another defense that we use is to diminish it. Ah, it wasn't such a big deal. They were driving carpool anyway. So what if they took my kid? You know, it wasn't, I didn't ask them to do something incredible. So we try to minimize these things in order to be able to let ourselves off the hook in terms of really recognizing the good. Okay, there's two, um, there's two parts to recognizing the good. The first part in this Mida is to recognize it. And then the second part is to express it. To express the good. Again, the Mida that works against us, the opposite of having Hakarat Hatov, is called Kafuitov. Now, the word kapa means a palm, palm of your hand. Whoops. It's also cool that the word spoon in Hebrew, kaf, is shaped like the palm of your hand. And the word kafuitov means to cover. When a person covers over the good that either Hashem has done, and again, this mita is interconnected the way we deal with Hashem and the way we deal with other people, whether we're going to cover over the good and by covering it over, we're off the hook, right? After all, I'm supposed to get that or, you know, I don't want to have to 
pay you back the favor. So I'm going to cover over the good. I don't want to be fooey in English, says Carol. Good, good point. Kafui, right? That's a fooey way to act, right? To ignore the good that other people do for you. On the positive side, you know, there are sometimes people who have a karat hato for generations. You know, you have people who, let's say, saved somebody in the Holocaust, your great grandfather or your grandfather, and the the gratitude will continue down the generations where, you know, people will talk about the good that others did for their ancestor. And that good and that kind uh, behavior and feeling of gratitude will continue on from one generation to the other. Uh, somebody told a story about, I think, their grandfather, who was very close to a certain Rav and did something very uh, good for him. And because of that, all the way through the generations until today, the uh, Rav's children and grandchildren still treat the other rabbis, children and grandchildren, with tremendous honor and respect and gratitude for what they did way back two generations for their great-grandfather. So again, the opposite of akaratato, of acknowledging the good, is kafuito. There's basically two kohos in the world. A person, Rav Dessler says, is either a giver or a taker. Now, again, some of us are born more naturally to be givers, whether it's our DNA, whether it was modeled for us, whether it's, you know, nature, nurture, and others of us are just naturally born to be takers. And again, you know, what we say on all of these most survives is we don't beat ourselves up over the negatives because we didn't do anything to be given that difficult trait, right? People, some people are born with a smile on their face. Some people are born naturally miserable. Some people are born to be givers. Some people are born to be takers. And again, spiritual growth is not measured by goal reached, but by distance covered. So we're all given difficult traits and wonderful traits, and we shouldn't take credit for either because basically they're all given to us for us to do our avodas Hashem, for us to become greater people based on working to get better in increments in that area that's difficult. But we do say that being a giver um, is the root of all good character traits. All good midos stem from this mida of being a giver. And being a taker is someone who will naturally be kafui tov, cover the good, because a taker is someone who never feels motivated to give back. So they're always going to be minimizing or ignoring the good that people do around them in order that they don't have to feel this, this um, tension or pressure of giving back. Okay, so we said that the second step to this Mida, the first step is to, number one, recognize the good, the good that other people do for you, the good that Hashem does for us, right? And we're going to talk more about that, but right now we're focusing on other people. 
The second step is to express the good, is to do something about the feeling that you get from noticing all the good that others do for you. So one of the examples we have in the Torah of somebody who had tremendous hakarat hatom to a degree that we can't even imagine is Moshe Rabbeinu. We know that Moshe was told to bring up about the 10 plagues and for the first two plagues of water and, and, and uh, sorry, of blood, turning the water into blood and bringing the frogs out of the earth, Moshe handed over his special stick to his brother Aaron because Moshe said, I have too much gratitude to the water that hid me when I was a child and saved me. And also I have gratitude to the earth that buried. Remember when the two Egyptians were fighting and Moshe comes and kills one of the Egyptians and the earth buried the Egyptian and hid him in the earth. So Moshe Rabbeinu shows us the incredible lengths to which a person can go to show gratitude, even to inanimate objects. So what we say is call the homer. If a person should be so grateful to that which is inanimate, then how much more so should we be grateful to people in our lives that do for us? Even the smallest act should not go unnoticed. To be an expert at Hakarat Hatov, we notice even the smallest acts. The larger acts are easy for us to notice. Again, the defense against noticing is our feeling of Magili. You're supposed to do that for me. And the second one, I don't want to feel indebted to you. I don't want to feel like now I have to pay you back. So we always have to be aware of these subconscious reasons for what works against us to have Hakarat Hatov. One of my favorite stories, which maybe you've heard before, that I always like to tell when I'm teaching the concept of noticing the good or expressing expressing um, your thankfulness, your gratitude to those who have done good for you in your life is the story of Rav Shach. Rav Shach, I think he died about maybe 10 to 15 years ago. Rav Shach was the head of the largest yeshiva in Israel. It's in Bnei Brak. It's called Panovich. And people call it the Harvard of yeshivas. Rav Shach was the Rosh Yeshiva, and he was alive into his 90s. I don't know it's the exact age that he died at, but he was very elderly. Anyway, one day on this very stormy and windy and rainy day, Rav Shach calls his grandson and summons him to drive him to a funeral that's a couple of hours away in Haifa. So, of course, his grandson arrives at his door, but he's very confused because, after all, Rav Shach is a great personality. He was already into his 80s, late 80s, very, very frail. And he was wondering, who is this person? Whose funeral is it that you're going to? I never heard anything about any great personality dying today that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people are attending their funeral. Why would my grandfather trouble himself to go to this funeral? Who is this person? So anyway, they get into the car and they drive to the funeral 
And when they get there, the grandson is even more puzzled because they drive straight to the feld, straight to the graveside. And there's only a few people there gathered around, hardly a minion. And Rav Shach gets out of the car again, wraps his coat around him tightly. And the grandson accompanies him to the feld to say the Yiskadal, the Yiskadash, and to give honor and respect to this woman who has just died. Anyway, on their way back from the feld, the grandson is bursting with wanting to ask his grandfather, why have you troubled yourself to such a degree for this woman? Who is she? As he's accompanying him back to the car and he opens the door for his grandfather, Rav Shach insists on standing outside in the cold, windy rain for another 30 seconds before he enters the car. On their drive back home, the grandson says to his grandfather, please, Zadie, tell me who was that woman? Why did you trouble yourself so much to go to her funeral? To which Rav Shach responded, when I was a young boy in yeshiva in Poland, we lived in conditions that were very, very difficult. It was so cold at night in the yeshivas. We slept on cold, hard benches in the shul. And really, I didn't know if I could take it anymore. As a matter of fact, uh, my uncle, one of my uncles who was a blacksmith, had been in touch with me and had offered me the opportunity to come an apprentice as a blacksmith with him in his business. And I had decided that I was going to leave the yeshiva and join him. I think I said he was 16, maybe he was 14 years old at this time. Anyway, he said I was gonna, that night I went to bed on that cold hard bench and I slept with difficulty. And I was determined that the next day I was gonna go to the Rosh Yeshiva and tell him of my intention to leave. He said, I came to the Rosh Yeshiva and before I could even say anything, the Rosh Yeshiva handed me a blanket, a very warm down comforter. And he said, this is for you to use at night. Now, where did this blanket come from? He said, this woman whose funeral that we just went to, he said his, her husband was a traveling salesman and he had died. And his wife, this woman, whose funeral we went to, had taken some of his merchandise, which included some feather comforters, and had brought them and donated them to the yeshiva. Now, there weren't enough for every single boy, but for whatever reason, one of them was given to me. And it's because of her that I stayed in yeshiva, and then I went on to become what he was known as, the Gadol Hador the great one of the generation. And so my hakarat hatov, by recognizing the good and how that affected everything in my life, could not go without expressing my gratitude, even at this moment of her, of the end of her life. So here we see how a great people take this mitzvah very, very seriously. This mitzvah or this midah, of Hakarata Tov. You know, I was out with my sister the other day, for those of you who know her, and she's a very sweet, kind person. 
And she's a natural giver, you know, always was that way. And we went for a walk and she told me, and she wasn't bragging. She wasn't telling me to impress me. She said, oh, you know, I was late because I went to the pharmacy where I get all of my medicines from, which is right here, very close to my house. I can walk there. And I brought the pharmacist a card and a gift to thank her for always having my medicine ready and taking care of things for me. And, you know, I just appreciate so much that I have this pharmacist that walking distance from my house and it's so easy to go there and she takes such good care of me. I wanted to just show her, express my Hakarat Hatov. And I said, wow, that's so incredible. And she said, yeah, she was teary-eyed when I gave it to her. But here's an example again. It's her job. Why should I give her anything? That's what she's supposed to do. But somebody who recognizes the good and then takes the next step. It's a two-part mitzvah. It's a two-part character development, right? First, number one, to get to bat, you have to recognize the good. And the second part is whether it's a real thank you or it's a card or it's a gift or whatever it is, expressing that is the second part of that midah. You know, and even halachically, according to Jewish law, for example, we, for those of you who know about the shidduch system, there's a halachic obligation to pay the person who makes a shidduch for your son or your daughter, a shadchan. So even halacha recognizes that there's levels of giving back. And you have to know whether a thank you is enough, whether it's not enough. You need to up your ante to a card, right? Or in certain cases, with in, in terms of halacha, you have to give a proper payment for that. It's not enough to just invite the shadchan over for Shabbos or to uh, give them a card. There's actual halachic obligations to pay them properly for their time and effort and everything that goes in to making a shidduch. And somebody added in the class, and even if they don't end up making a shidduch for you, the hakarat hatov of the time that they spend unpaid, just looking and searching and being on the phone and back and forth is something that requires expressing hakarat hatov. So another, another idea about why people don't want to admit or to see the good that others do is especially as we get older, we don't want to appear needy, right? We don't want to be needy. So we try to minimize the thank you. Because when I admit that you did something for me that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do myself, or might be hard for me, I don't like the feeling. I don't like the feeling of feeling needy, of feeling weak or vulnerable. And because of that, again, this might work to diminish our feelings of hakarat hachon. Okay, so we talked a lot about this between man and man, bein adam lechavero. And now we're going to extend this again this concept of Hakarat Hatov, which really relates to Hanukkah, to Hashem himself. Because again, they are interconnected. Whether we recognize the good other people show us 
this will impact whether we recognize the good that Hashem is doing for us all the time at every moment. So according to Hashem, in terms of Hashem, it's incumbent upon us every day to be grateful. This is a constant skill, a constant avoda. We know just from the davening, we wake up every morning, the first thing out of our mouths is moda ani. And it's interesting that we don't say ani first, the I, I thing, but rather moda ani, the gratitude, the thanks comes from a person who is not a taker, who's a giver, who sees the good in others and naturally wants to give back. And so the ani is small and the gratitude of the other is bigger. And this is how we're supposed to wake up every morning to understand the incredible hakarat hatov that we need to have towards Hashem. Again, someone who's ungrateful to other people will be ungrateful to Hashem. This is a meter that we have to develop and train ourselves to see the good wherever we look. So what holds us back from being makir tov, from seeing the good that Hashem does for us? What gets in the way? Well, you won't be surprised to know that Revolba says it's the same two things. The first is expectation. We just expect to wake up every morning. We just expect to open up our eyes and see. We just expect that we're going to have money to buy food. We just expect that we're going to have air to breathe, right? This is the human condition. This is the lethargy and the expectation that humans fall into where we don't see Hashem in the everyday miraculous, or as I used to call it, the miraculous mundane. Unfortunately, part of the human condition is we only pay attention and notice when, God forbid, it's taken from us or it's gone. You know, as the expression goes, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, there was a famous story that was going around during COVID that I know I told you about a guy who had been on a support, life support machine for like three or four months during COVID that was helping him breathe. And when they left the hospital, this was in America, they were given a bill for three months of breathing on this machine, which was quite exorbitant. And when this man, a religious man saw the bill, he started to cry. And his wife said to him, what are you crying about? Don't worry, we'll pay it back. We'll, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get the money together. You know, thank God you're alive. And he responded, that's not why I'm crying. I'm not crying about the bill. What I'm crying about is the fact that we take for granted that every breath that we get for free, right? Without any payment. We don't realize how precious it is until God forbid we can't do it without the help of a life support machine, right? So if we understood and if we could live on the level of not taking for granted the everyday miracles that Hashem does for us, this is how we have a karata tov, get rid of the expectation. The second reason, which is a deeper and more subconscious reason of why we don't want to recognize the good Hashem does for us, is because then we will feel 
indebted. Oh no, that means I owe you. Now, the more I recognize what a Hashem does for me, the more I feel I owe him. So I would rather ignore all the good that he does for us. During Hanukkah, we're also every single day saying Hallel. Hallel are a group of, uh, are a series of Tehillim that King David wrote, which express the Hodot Ulahalel, tremendous thank yous to Hashem for all that he does for us. We say Hallel for many Jewish holidays. And on Hanukkah, we say the full Hallel. There are certain times we only say half Hallel or part of the Tehillim. But on Hanukkah, we say the full Hallel. And if we were to go through it, we would see that the incredible theme is gratitude. Hakara Satov, thanksgiving to Hashem, praise of the one who does so much for us. And one of the lines in Tehillim says, Ma ashiv Hashem kol tagnulohi alai. How can I repay Hashem? How can I ever repay him, says David Amelech, asked David Amelech, for all the kindness that Hashem does for me every day, again, from waking me up in the morning, from giving me air to breathe, from bringing out the sun every day and keeping the world going and everything else that we can say about Hashem, which, of course, we could never express, as it says in the Nishmat prayer, all of the good, all of the kindnesses that Hashem does for us every moment of every day. So this feeling of indebtedness to Hashem makes us want to ignore the good that he does for us. Because how can I repay you, Hashem? What can I do? We don't want to acknowledge what Hashem does for us because then I owe him. And of course, there's nothing we could ever give Hashem except, first of all, let me just say, Hashem doesn't need anything, right? The definition of Hashem is that he's perfect. He doesn't need anything. So what can I give you? But there is one thing that we can give Hashem, and that is to do his ratzon, to do his will, to do what he asks of us. This is the only thing that we can give back to Hashem. You know, it's like children. Uh, Atara Haber gave an example that her kids, when they were little, they said, mommy, you know, we want to buy you a birthday present. We're going to put all our money together and we're going to buy something for you. So she was joking. She was saying like, you know, what are they going to give me? You know, they're going to go to Dollarama and, you know, they don't have that much money and they're going to buy me a Dollarama present. And like, I don't really need it. I don't want it. I don't want that thing, you know? So, you know, what do I say to them? I say, you know what I would love more than anything else? I would love you to all get along with each other. You know, I'd love you to stop fighting, right? I'd love to see your, you know, being more serious about, you know, doing nice things for each other, whatever it is. So just like a parent, Hashem is saying the same thing. You know, what can you give me? The only satisfaction that we can give Hashem, the only way we can, so to speak, pay back is by doing what our great parent in the sky would like of us. And of course, why does he want this? Only for our own good. Only because when you're all not fighting or you're doing the right thing, life is better. It's just better. So Hashem, who loves us more than any parent and needs a lot less 
in a way, for sure, materially, physically, and, you know, doesn't gain from that, wants us only to do his ratzon. And again, even the idea of praising Hashem, the fact that we praise Hashem, he doesn't need our praises. It's not like by us praising him, Hashem says, oh, you know, my self-esteem issues are going away because everybody thinks I'm great. Now, I remember my kids when they were little, they'd say, why do we always have to tell God how great he is? You know, like, you know, it's so arrogant. It's so arrogant of him. Right. We say Hashem is so humble. How can he be so arrogant? So, again, it's not because Hashem needs our praises, but it's because we need to become praisers. We need to see the good that Hashem does us and express it. Because what does David Amalek say? He says, well, how can I repay you? And one of the ways he says that we can, by calling out the name of Hashem, by telling people about Hashem, by recognizing the kindnesses that you do for me, Hashem. That's how I can repay you. That's how I can become a praiser. That's how I can become greater. And that's why I just want to say, we should never look at what other people are doing in terms of their gratitude towards us. You know, I can't believe she didn't say thank you. I can't believe they didn't give me a call. I can't believe that it's one thing. It's true. It's painful when other people don't recognize the good that we've done. And call the Chomer, if you want to say it's painful for Hashem, when people can spend their whole lives from the beginning of their life till the end without ever acknowledging the good, again, because they're worried about this, oh no, now I'm owing. That means I have to acknowledge Hashem, number one. Number two, I have to acknowledge the good that he does for me, number two. And number three, now I have to somehow express something back so that there's a relationship going on here that's somewhat on an even keel, if you like. You know, I felt this a lot when my mother was declining. And, you know, almost every other day I was at her bedside or I was in the hospital or I was sleeping over in the hospital. And I was so overwhelmed by the feeling of it doesn't matter how much I do for my parents. I can't even come close to repaying them for all that they did for me. And I don't even have to go past the first year of my life. I mean, just, you know, diapering me and feeding me and making sure I stayed alive and keep my brothers and sisters away from killing me. I mean, all the things that go into being a newborn baby. And then you, do, you could just go on and on every year of your life. The money that they pour into you, the worry and the tears and the hopes and the dreams that anyone who's a parent understands. And I felt such a privilege to be able to do something and yet so woefully lacking in terms of my ability to ever pay back what a parent does for their child. So again, will you invoke that Gemara Talmudic phrase, call the Chomer, if this is true of our parents, call the Chomer of Hashem himself who creates us and who watches over us and is involved in every detail of our life and takes care of us and wants us to notice him and not to just expect that this is the way it's supposed to be, 
Number one, get rid of the Magili. And number two, recognize that yes, we are indebted. We can never pay it back. But one thing we can do, which is what Hashem tells us, what do I ask of you, right? Only that you should do chesed and mishpat and walk humbly with me. And that you should look and listen to my Torah and be good Jews, be good children, right? Be the bechor that you're meant to be in the world. This is what you can do for me. So how do we come to love Hashem? How do we come to recognize the good? Again, just in our everyday, but the Rambam teaches us, right? That the way to know Hashem is to look around you at the wonders of nature, to appreciate the everyday and recognize that it's all Hashem. There's no difference between the miraculous when Hashem, so to speak, peels back the layer of nature and says, peekaboo, or whether he hides himself. Again, the word olam, adon olam, master of the world. The word olam is the same root as the word he'elam, to hide. Hashem said, I created this world and everything in it. If I want vinegar to light, I can make vinegar light. There's no rules except the rules that I put into nature, right? It's all miraculous. And I'm hiding, but I want you to come and find me. How do you find me? Through Hakaras Hatom, through recognizing the good, right? Again, one of the most common expressions that every base Yaakov girl is taught is the words, Hakol Bidei Shamayim, everything is in the hands of heaven. Chutzmi Yirat Shamayim, except for fear or awe of heaven. But again, the word yira means to see, lirot, from the word lirot. So really, another way of reading this is everything is in the hands of heaven. Everything around us is God. But the only thing, the only place where we have free choice, so to speak, is whether or not we're going to see that. Whether we're going to see that everything's in the hands of heaven, that everything is miraculous that Hashem is in everything, every day, and that the place, the hardest place to find him is not in the miracles, that's easy, but in the every day of living, whether it's through the people who Hashem sends to bring us good in our life, because that's also from Hashem ultimately, or whether it's just Hashem himself keeping us going in the everyday, natural, miraculous, mundane, there's no difference, as Rabbi Hanina Bendosa taught us, between what's natural, what's nature, mother nature, as people like to call it, so that they don't have to believe in Hashem, right? Oh, yeah, it's mother nature, right? I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything. It was all here. It was always here. It just works by itself. There's nobody created it, nobody supervising it, nobody sustaining it. It was all just here. Because Magili, it's supposed to be. That's what I expect. No, the Jewish idea is that every day the sun rises because Hashem tells the sun to rise. Every day you open your eyes because Hashem says, Rabbah emunatecha, the end of Ani. Hashem says, great is, we always translate it, great is our belief in you. But what the rabbis say, no, it's saying, I thank you, Hashem, King of the entire, King who is alive and real 
in my life. He didn't just create the world and go on vacation to Florida. Okay, but he's involved. He's keeping the world going. Rabbah Emunatecha, great is your belief in me that you woke me up this morning, that you gave me another day. There's a relationship that's going on here. Okay, the last story that I want to tell before we say goodbye is again, when we go to Shul and we hear the Shemona Esrei repeated, when the Chazan repeats the Shemona Esrei, we're just supposed to listen, except when we get to Modim. When we get to Modim, there's another little Modim next to the Chazan's Modim that we're supposed to say at the same time. Because nobody can thank Hashem or other people except you. Nobody can do that job for you. And that's why when we repeat the Shemona Esrei, that's the one part that we actually say along together with the Chazan, because he can't do it for you. Another way to um, recognize the good is when you see bad things going on around you. When you pass a hospital, when you pass somebody who has a cast on their leg and isn't walking well, when you see somebody begging on the street for money, when you see somebody injured or in pain, Hashem puts these things in your sight and in your life for you be, to be able to say quietly to yourself, thank you, Hashem, that it's not me. Thank you, Hashem, that it's not me. Of course, we also feel pain and, and sadness and empathy for the other person. But if you want to excel in the Mita of Akar and Hatov, thank you, Hashem, it's not me. You hear an ambulance? I hope the person becomes better, but thank you, Hashem, I'm not in the ambulance. This is how we flex our Hakarat Hatov muscles, okay? I'll just tell you quickly this story. There were two men. Uh, one of them's name was Rabbi Hananya Chalak. He was a rabbi who was the head of a huge medical organization in Israel. Incredibly productive organization that helped thousands of people. And he was in his office with a very wealthy Gavir from America who was there to give money to his organization. Anyway, before the two of them started their meeting, they had to dub a mincha. And Rabbi Chalak said, you know, why don't we go to the Kotel? This was in Israel, and we'll dub a mincha there. Anyway, they come to the Kotel, and there's a man who's standing at the wall, and you don't see this very often, even though obviously that's the place to do it. He's sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and crying and crying. And the two of them look at each other, the two rats, the two men, and, uh, you know, they, they say to each other, you know, there's only two things that this guy sh could be crying about. Either it's illness, it's a medical issue, or it's financial. So he said, so listen, between the two of us, we can help him. If it's a medical issue, Rabbi, you're going to take care of him. You're going to, you know, you're going to find him the solution to the problem. And if it's a financial issue, I'm happy to pay his debts. I'm going to give him what he needs financially because Baruch Hashem, I've been blessed with tremendous amount of wealth. So they go up to this man when he's finished and they say, hi, we're here to help you. Please tell us what are you crying about? And he turns to them and he says, no, I'm not crying about a medical issue. No, I'm not crying about a financial issue. I'm crying about the fact that Hashem, I have just married off my 10th child. That is what I'm sobbing about. The incredible kindness of Hashem that I've married off my 10th child. Now, when I heard this story, I had to add one of my own stories, which is that when I was a young woman, 
becoming more and more interested in Judaism and living it and making it real and creating a relationship with God, which is what it's all about. Hello? Jews don't know that. They think it's about Eastern religions where they can find spirituality, unfortunately. They think it's anywhere else but Judaism, unfortunately, because as I've said before, Judaism can seem to be a very material, physical religion with no God at all. But um, I used to go to this family with 14 children who lived in this impeccably clean, tiny little apartment across from where I was studying. Three sets of twins, tiny little woman. And I remember on one of my recent visits there to go and visit my children who were living in my married children who were living in the same neighborhood. I saw my teacher from when I was 24 years old come out of the house with her husband all dressed up on a regular Tuesday, looking like it was Yuntin. And, you know, they had called a cab and they were getting into the cab and they said to us, we're going to the hotel. We're going to the hotel the central post office, right? For all of our prayers and filas. And they said, we go for every birthday of one of our children. Whenever there's a birthday, we go to the Kotel to thank Hashem for that child. Okay, this is 14 children. They go, they dress up like it's Yuntif. He's got a suit and a hat and she's dressed in her prettiest dress to go and thank Hashem for each child that they were given on that child's birthday. So just to end, um, you know, the Mida of Akarad Hatov is the gateway to Emuna and Bitachon. The muscle that we want to flex on Hanukkah after we light the candles and we gaze into those beautiful lights, those lights that we are told is the hidden light from creation. When we, when we look at those lights, we should think about the incredible hakarat hatov that we owe Hashem, right? Seeing the good that he does for us in the everyday, seeing him in nature. And then it's, 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 not, it's not hard to see him in the miraculous, right? But the kunz is to see him in those little lights and to see him in the everyday and let it light up our life and light up our relationship with Hashem, becoming givers and not takers, adding every night one more light to develop this character trait of seeing the good and, of course, expressing it. And again, being aware that the two things that prevent us from doing this whether it's with other people or with God himself is number one. We just expect that it's supposed to be that way. Or number two, we don't want to be indebted. We don't want to feel owing. So those are the two stumbling blocks that we have to work to see as we work to grow in our Mida of Hakarat Hato. Okay, thank you so much for listening.